Welcome to WeChat Divorce, hosted by Karen Chalou, legal liaison, and Catherine Shanahan, CDFA. Each episode, we sit down with divorce professionals and industry experts to provide insights and frank discussions about real people, real situations, and real divorce to help you achieve your best life post-divorce. This episode of WeChat Divorce is brought to you by My Divorce Solution, offering divorce financial preparation services so clients can prepare for divorce, protect their assets, and secure their worth. Visit MyDivorceSolution.com to apply to work with us. Welcome to WeChat Divorce. Catherine and I are welcoming attorney Joseph Wilmore, family law attorney located in San Diego, California, to our episode today. On this episode, we're going to discuss divorce advice, preparing to divide assets and community property. But first, let's meet Joseph. Attorney Joseph Wilmore is a board-certified family law specialist, also known as a CFLS, by the State Bar of California Board of Legal Specialization. Joseph has been in practice as a family law attorney for nearly 11 years and practices family law, which includes divorce, child custody, support, and restraining orders. Prior to founding Wilmore Law Firm, Joseph worked as a senior associate at one of the largest civil litigation and family law firms in the Southwest. Joseph's family law practice quickly expanded due to his reputation for zealous advocacy and ethical practice. And that is one of the reasons we so admire attorney Wilmore. Joseph completed his undergraduate degree in communication at Arizona State University. He attended law school at Thomas Jefferson School of Law, where he graduated at the top of his class. Joseph served as an editor of the Law Review and completed study abroad programs in France and China, honing skills in cultural relations, alternative dispute resolution, and mediation. Wow. Welcome, Joseph. Thank you, Karen and Catherine, for having me. So excited to have you here. Yeah. Your being an editor of the Law Review is quite remarkable, as I know that's a fairly prestigious position in law school. So kudos Thank to you. Thank you. Yes. It's certainly taught me how to write like a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. I could do a podcast alone with that. <laughs> so thanks again for being with us today. But before we get to our actual discussion I'd like to ask you about a quote that you have on your website. It says, don't be afraid to start over. It's a chance to rebuild what you want. Why is that specific quote so meaningful to you and your work? I would say as far as representing any person about to start a family law litigation of any sort, and of course the primary issue there is divorce, is it's an extremely fearful transitional time for my clients. And oftentimes when somebody is either about to start a divorce or in the midst of a divorce, they're having difficulty seeing that times will get better. And part of that process is knowing that you're not going to be in this rough spot forever. Life will go on and life will get better. And showing clients that pathway that as hard as, as right now might be, while there's no end in sight, you will get through this, all hard times pass, and you will get to a better place and happiness after that. I love that because if you ever listen to me, you know that I do not think divorce defines who we are. I think it's a part of our story and it's not our entire story. So I definitely resonate with that quote and appreciate it because it is so true. 
As much as we all want our marriages to work, unfortunately, sometimes people change. Sometimes it, it wasn't what we thought it would be, but that doesn't mean there isn't somebody else out there for us that will make our story work and our life fall into place the way it was meant to be. Oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> it really is. And you know what? It creates the framework for divorce then. Now that you realize that, there's processes to go through and you can go through those a little easier knowing you've got to do this before you can get there. And I appreciate that you show your clients that the pathway after divorce so that they can actually go through the process with a little bit more clarity about where they're going. That's really impactful. I'm glad you do that. All right. Well, let's get into our discussion because I think time's going to go really fast. But if we could just start out with when a couple is facing divorce, at the end of the day, it's about a parenting plan and the division of assets and spousal support, right? So three things, essentially. We have those main components. I know our focus, of course, will be on the financial end today. Right. And more specifically, the division of assets. So in California, it's all about community property. So can you start out with explaining to our listeners just give us all a basic description of community property and generally how it's divided. Absolutely. So California is a community property state. And what a lot of people think is that means everything you have is split equally. And that is not true. However, what you acquire during the marriage is community property. So that would, generally speaking, be divided equally between the spouses. So I always use this example. If a husband and wife get married and husband had $100,000 in his retirement plan prior to getting marriage, that is his separate property. Wife does not have a claim to that. However, if during the marriage, husband accumulates an additional $100,000, which he places in that same retirement plan. So $200,000, only $100,000 of that is community property because that was what was acquired by husband during the marriage. So as far as wife's interests in what is now a $200,000 retirement plan is only limited to half of the $100,000 acquired during marriage. So wife's community property interest is 50000 of the $200,000 retirement plan. Okay. So I know everyone listening said, what did he say? <laughs> <laughs> so just to back up a little bit, I come in and you and I get married. I have $100,000. Now we're married and I put another $100,000 in. The $100,000 originally went in. Is it the value on that date or is the appreciation of that $100,000 also non-marital? The appreciation is also non-marital as well. So we're only looking at what was acquired during marriage. And if husband had acquired $100,000 during the marriage, within that retirement plan, that is what we're limited to. So accounting of this can get very complicated, as you can see. And that's when we utilize experts such as yourselves to really tell us, what do we have here? What is the full extent of assets we have? And then we look into the finer details from there. What was before marriage? What was acquired during marriage? What are the parties entitled to? Yeah. I always wish the parties had forward thinking skills and they would just put the new monies into a separate account. <laughs> it would be easier, right? Of course, when we talk to people in situations such as premarital agreements, that's certainly something that we advise. But 
as far as how people act in the real world, that almost never happens. There's always substantial commingling. Right. Yeah. So those state of marriage statements are very important, obviously, when you're preparing for divorce. And I think even more complex and account statements, because those are very tangible documents that you can acquire that really helps the calculations. But when you have business valuations or when you have real estate that's been improved over 30 years of marriage, that can become fairly complex too, I think. And absolutely. So when we look at that as well, we would be looking, and now we're going down a completely other path too. So if we're talking about real estate as well, if it's acquired prior to marriage, separate property, However, if we're making mortgage payments on that real estate during the marriage, the new spouse, of course, is entitled to roughly half of all the mortgage payments made because that was community property money that went toward a separate property asset. So we can really get down. And that's, again, when experts such as yourselves come into the picture so we can really look at, okay, well, what money went where and who's entitled to what from that? Yeah, we will deep dive deeper into that, I'm sure, later on. But, you know, a lot of attorneys in California, we hear, you know, when we're collecting the information and we're putting it together for their portrait. Some of their attorneys are saying the Epstein Watts, well, we don't go by that. Others are, yes, we go by that. How do you know which attorney is the one that you should be following, I guess? What are your thoughts on that? Well, here's something that I advise clients of all the time because they'll ask me, well, why are they saying that's not true, but we're arguing this position? And here's the simple reality of the legal process and how the world works is everything is arguable. So when we look at Watts or Epstein credits, and to most people out there listening, that probably won't mean anything to them. But if we're arguing a legal principle, there's always two sides to that. And while, say, for example, we're talking credits for somebody using a house while the divorce is pending, we can argue, okay, well, that person should be paying the reasonable rental value of that house because they're enjoying the benefit of it. And then the other flip side of the argument would be, well, the children are in the house. So is that something that they should have to pay for? And then we argue who has the ability to pay. So there's all these contradictory arguments that we can make for that position. And that's why when people say, oh, well, is that really true? Who should I be listening to? The simple reality is there's so many arguments you, you can make. It's, it's to the party's benefit, certainly for the attorneys to have dialogue, to try to negotiate something that is mutually beneficial there. But uh, when people can't agree on that, each of them get to go into court and argue their respective positions and the legal principles behind that. And I'm sure you found your side on both your view on both sides of that coin, right? So you have- absolutely. And there's always going to be stronger arguments as well. So we can always look at it and say, well, I would say this argument is stronger. So more likely than not, this spouse will prevail on this issue because it seems that they have more good facts in their favor. And the other attorney should certainly recognize that as well, which will make it, okay, well, if we go into court and argue that issue, more likely than not, we, we have an uphill battle and the judge more likely than not would probably rule for the other side. So we have listeners nationally. What are, can you explain a little bit further what Epstein and Watts and what those rules are? So if we're looking at certain credits that somebody has, and this again is very California specific, so as far as getting into the intricacies of certain credits here, 
We're looking at reimbursements. So if we're focused on an Epstein credit, number one, we're talking about one person's right to be reimbursed by the other spouse for roughly one half of separate property money used after the date of separation. So again, this is related, for example, to one person exclusively using a community property house following the date of separation. These credits, and I'm gonna say from a practical reality, a lot of these are not necessarily worth arguing about depending on the nature of complexity of the case depending on what we're really looking at in the big picture. So again, these are oftentimes related to reasonable rental value of the house or exclusive use. So again, when we look at that, if we're talking about one person using a house following the date of separation, generally we can make that all better by that person making the mortgage payments while they're exclusively using the house. And I would say in a lot of situations, that might be similar to what the reasonable rental value of the property is. Then we go into the issue of picking your battles during the divorce as well. Does it make sense to litigate and hire an expert to determine what the reasonable rental value of the house is, which in today's market might be higher than a mortgage payments on a house that was taken out 10 years ago? But then again, you'd have to hire experts, pay them thousands of dollars, have courtroom testimony as well. So again, kind of going down some of those paths, we need to look at the long-term benefit of doing that. Is that actually in their financial best interest to argue somebody might get a couple hundred dollars a month credits if we do spend $10,000 having an expert come in? Or is it just better to say, okay, well, they'll just pay the mortgage payment while they're exclusively using the house and we're litigating this? Because again, if we look at the long-term benefit for them, that's probably the better solution. So this is really important conversation because we're here with you, Joseph, and you're interpreting what would be real data. And so what I tell people when they come to my divorce solution is the data and the documents don't change. It is what it is but it can be interpreted and it can be argued to your point in a variety of ways. But getting the information and the documentation together so that you know what battles to pick, you know where to spend your money, you know what your goals are, is very important so that you as an attorney can best represent them and best advocate for them for those issues that really do matter and for those issues that will, really will make an impact, a financial impact to their future. And I can trail onto that too. So if we bring experts like My Divorce Solution and to compile a financial analysis, a financial report for the party so they can see exactly what the marital estate is worth. And generally speaking, for most divorces, we have, of course, spouse who's generally in control of finances and then the other one, which we'll call the out spouse which is the one that did not manage the party's finances, generally that person has extreme trust issues as well while the divorce process is ongoing because that spouse is going to say, well, is there more? I think they're hiding something. When we have something of this nature, such as a report that says, okay, well, this is what the marital estate is worth, while also factoring in, okay, well, these properties were acquired prior to marriage, so that would be presumably separate. That at least provides us an initial starting point when dealing with a client with that thought process so we can say, okay, well, here's the information that we do have. If you believe there's something else, 
I certainly have the power of a subpoena and we can go on these various fishing expeditions to prove whether or not there actually is. Generally speaking, if somebody has accounts at various institutions, we have an idea of where we can start issuing subpoenas in order to do that. And then, of course, I have my own tricks on finding information as far as where something else might exist as well. I'm glad we're bringing up the trust because it's so true. Who trusts the person they're divorcing? I don't really know anyone. They think they trust them. I think they're going to do the right thing by them. But as you go through the process, there is a reason you're getting divorced. But like Karen Stan, and like you're saying, the data doesn't lie. The statements don't lie. The documentation to support anything is there. But when we have a spouse who's, we'll, we'll call the money spouse, who is a participant with us, if the non-money spouse is our primary client, they want to come into our process because they want their spouse to understand that although they live this certain lifestyle, the cash flow is not really what it is. And they want to be able to give all this information to prove that this is what it is and here's what we have it. And the information we're able to gather and put together for you to do your best work, it's just really life-changing when it comes to the trust part because we take the data, we listen to what they're saying. We're not attorneys, so we don't give them legal advice. We don't tell them what kind of credits they would get or if it's marital or non-marital, but we listen to them. And so the spouse gets to hear that, but the data that they give us would not have been given in another format because it's usually two attorneys talking to their clients and then to, like it's coming through uh, the channel. So when we give them as a third party, we don't invest their money to them either. I'm not a CDFA. Any of our CDFAs will not invest money. So we're really just that neutral person who's setting it up for you to take it and run with it. But the client that we have, we see them transition into, okay, I still don't trust them, but I trust that I'm going to have enough knowledge to work with my attorney or my mediator to make really good decisions for myself. And that alone is learning to trust yourself, to change your story, to change the way you dealt with the money because you're having the data and it's all put there in front of you. And I love seeing that because trusting yourself to make smart decisions is the best way you can equip your attorney to do their best work as well, because you'll understand what they're proposing to you and whether or not you get it, right? So you can move on and not fight certain battles. So I can absolutely tell you, and I love everything you're saying, because when you say data doesn't lie, information is here is what you need. I can tell you in the divorce process, what slows it down the most and drags it out to make a divorce take years and years is when everybody's saying, I don't have the information. I need to know more. There's something else out there. And then when we have something like this, which says, okay, well, here's the information. These numbers don't lie. We've gone through everything. Here it is. We've gone down all the additional paths. We didn't trust this or that. So we subpoenaed it, found nothing. This is what we have. Now we either move forward toward settlements or trial. Those are our options at that point. So once we can finally say there's nothing else out there, we have everything we need in order to resolve this matter. Again, that makes cases go much, much smoother rather than spinning our wheels, looking in all the wrong places or, or simply even saying there's something else out there, but I don't, don't know. I don't trust moving on to the next process. Hiring and bringing an expert in to do those reports and have that information, again, is critical to these cases as far as getting them moving quickly and efficiently. So agree. You know, I think a lot of people do not understand that 
a spouse's behavior does not really play a large role in the actual divorce negotiations relative to the marital estate, as in what's community and separate. And so I'm sure that you deal with that a lot too, like helping them understand that whatever emotional value they're bringing to the table, whether they were a stay-at-home parent or they did all the work and made all the money or he said, she said, whatever the, it may be, it doesn't really play a role in the division of the marital property. I think a key thing, especially when dealing, and again, I have many highly emotional clients, which is again, very normal Mm -hmm. uh, in this process is clients want to be hurt. They want their feelings to be known. But part of my job no additional cost to the client, of course, <laughs> joking, is helping them understand, you know, as emotional as this process is, judges like to think that judges want to do the right thing and that they care. I can tell you judges do, generally speaking, want to do the right thing, but the level of care among judges is simply not there, unfortunately. They don't care that your spouse may have neglected you, did not attend to your emotional needs. It is crystal clear in the California Family Code that infidelity plays no part in the divorce process as well as not a factor that the court considers. All these things that are important to the person, unfortunately, are not important to the court. So when it comes to dividing assets, your spouse is not going to be punished for having an affair, for example. What we have to work with are community property laws, These are the laws that the court's going to consider. So assets simply are going to be divided very equitably. Now, if a spouse was doing terrible things, funding illegal activities, spending money on illegal activities, now that's another story. You certainly can at least get reimbursement for things of that nature if they did dispose of community assets on illegal activities. But for most cases, that's not the case. And we just look at simple asset division here. Now, with regard to other issues, such as a stay-at-home mother or a spouse that sacrificed a career to raise children, those are more issues related to spousal support and factors that the court would consider there. So I'm certainly not saying that those things can't come up, simply not for division of assets. You know, you bring up something really important for people to understand, and I didn't understand this until maybe, what, Karen, about three years ago that you had to drill it into my head. We all, the common person, I'm a financial person, never worked in the legal world, but you think that a judge, your understanding as the common person is that the judge is going to care about those emotions and they're going to make the decision. When in reality, it is your attorney who the judge is going to for the information because they need to know the law or they need to know what's going on. So it's really, this is why we think it's so important on the attorney that you pick. It's not always who your friend referred you to. It's the attorney who can work with your case and argue your case, as we said in the beginning, whichever side it is, based on the data that you have. And so, again, I'm going to go back to what our process does. It allows you to trust yourself, to be able to trust your attorney, because an attorney working with an informed client is able to argue your case better for that judge if it gets to that point in which most cases I always see them settling before you even get in front of the judge. But that's what's so important about the attorney. It's not someone who promises you everything in a consult. It's somebody who takes, that's what we want. We actually, we like people to get their portrait before they even go to a consult. Because imagine if they come to a consult with you and you look at their portrait, just even the summary page, you're able to give 
some information, not everything, but some information that will prove that you know how to handle this case, right? Not that you're promising that what they're crying about, which is what we see a lot. You know, somebody's crying about what they want, like the house or they want to go after their spouse. Yeah, we could do that. We'll go after them and we'll get you everything you want. No, how do you do that when you don't know? So as an uninformed person going through it, you're at a, such a huge disadvantage. But knowing that you can go to the, somebody, trusting yourself with information, then picking an attorney like you who's able to take that and then really argue your case, that's who the judge is looking for. He's looking for that attorney. And absolutely. I'm going to tail on something yeah. you said that's, that sticks out to me is that most cases you see settle before even going to trial. And I'm going to focus this really on the division of assets here. I'm going to go so far as to say most asset division here in California should never go to trial. And the reason why is it is very easy for a skilled attorney that knows the entire extent of assets that they have to determine exactly what a judge would rule at trial. And if you have two good attorneys on both sides, they can very easily figure that out and advise their clients, hey, this is exactly what would happen at trial uh, regarding, because community property law is very clear. There really are, like I said, absent some unusual circumstances, such as illegal activities, spending money on something of that nature that would entitle the other person to reimbursement which are unusual circumstances, not common in most cases, it is extremely predictable exactly how a judge would rule. Because and imagine you're working with the symmetry of information with our portrait. If both sides mm -hmm. have the same documentation, the same information, then the two attorneys know exactly what to do. Absolutely. I think, I think symmetry among information will, all the really good attorneys out there will rise to the top mm -hmm. because you'll see their expertise come out because they all yeah. have the information that everybody should have. And that little 10% of people where you can't get all the information, well, then, you know, you go duke it out. 90% of the people, if you had symmetry of information, you're going to have your good attorneys like yourself and somebody on the other side be able to settle this for the couple and save them money while still making money. It's not like you're not going to make money, but imagine how many more cases we can handle um, and how many more families can actually move on according to your quote that we started with. It would be just the industry would just be forever changed. Yeah, again, with regard to community property issues, those are the most, I'm not gonna say easy, but they are. And in a family law litigation, that is the easiest issue to figure out. It's the issues, for example, child custody, there's extreme discretion that a judge can have in making rulings on that. Those are commonly litigated issues. Issues, for example, spousal support as well. A judge has tremendous latitude with regard to orders on spousal support. So then we argue marital standard of living, employment ability of the lower earning spouse, what is considered income for purposes of calculating spousal support. Again, tremendous latitude, highly litigated issue, an issue worth litigating if the parties can't reach any amicable terms of settlement on that. But again, community property division should never be set for trial. Yeah, and the only thing I think about a lot is when you get the business and we're collecting all the business documentation when you have a premarital business and then you're married 20 years and that business has grown or you take money from that business that's premarital and you invest in a new business and never put your spouse's name on it. We could, I mean, if we segue into to business, 
which leads us down a completely different path versus a simple financial division. You are correct. Yes, those are other litigated issues as well, where we bring in different forms of experts on that. So, of course, in that case, we look at what assets does the business have? What is the business's name and reputation? There's intrinsic value to that. If it's some type of intellectual property or personal service, that leads down certainly a whole different space. So I would classify a business as something entirely different for purposes of division as well. The court certainly will look at it separately as well. So that's certainly something different from bank accounts, investment accounts, retirement accounts. That requires a separate expert as well to do that valuation. Yeah. And, then if, and then we go on to the segue of, well, who gets the business after the divorce as well? That's mm -hmm. so true. And executive compensation, where do you place that? In simple or complex? I think it's fairly complex. I would say it's complex as well. Another thing we would want to look at are our pensions as well, because that's a marital asset, which oftentimes in a divorce, nobody's receiving, but they will get it later. And the spouse that was not the recipient of that, however, by way of community property, is entitled to a community property percentage of that. So then that's a reserved issue as well. Of course, we resolve it in the divorce where, okay, we've calculated what your interest will be, assuming that pension vests and then the other person receives it you will get your payments from that down the line as well, which again, can be something that happens 15 years after your divorce, that person retires from that job and they start receiving that as well. And then 15 years after your divorce, you start getting payments of your percentage from that as well. Right. And it's so, so important that if your pension is divided with a QDRO, Quadro, that the language in that quadro protects you in all situations and circumstances. Sometimes that we say the devil's in the details and that's definitely one of the details that can get overlooked. You know, a couple will say, all right, well, we're splitting it, that's fine. But that the language in the quadro can make substantial difference in the financial impact of what you eventually receive if you're not careful. And so. that is correct because we really need it outlined in the party's divorce judgment what period of time we're looking at. And we really want to make it crystal clear as far as, okay, what's well, during this time period? The party's married on this date, the party's separated on this date. So this is the specified period of that pension that person acquired an interest in. And if we have ambiguous language that doesn't make that clear. Ultimately, when time comes and the parties present that divorce judgment to a quadro preparer in order to siphon off the other spouse's interest in that, they'll say, well, we can't work. We can't work with this. Nope. And then that's an issue that should have been resolved in their divorce is not. And now they have to go back to family court to resolve that or get clarification on orders for that. Right. So again, true. adding to time, expense, legal fees that could have been resolved the first time around had they had somebody who knew what they were doing. Yeah, exactly. I can think of many pieces like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great advice, Joseph. Thanks for being here today. This concludes this episode on divorce advice, preparing to divide assets and community property. Joseph, how can our listeners find you and learn more about you? 
Um, well, I have a website, an active social media presence. Callers can or viewers can always call us as well. I believe we could put that information on the screen or I could read it off for you. Is there a preference? <laughs> we can put it on the screen, but it's also in the transcript if you want us to just say it. Okay. Our phone number is 619-550-6738. They can find me on Instagram. It's my first name, joseph.wilmore, and my website, wilmorelawfirm.com. Joseph, thank you so much for your advice and for this very informative conversation. Karen, Catherine, thank you both for having me. My pleasure. If you're facing divorce and not sure where to start, you're not alone. The average cost of divorce in the U.S. is over $15,000 and the process can be emotionally draining. But with our divorce financial planning services, you can understand your settlement options and make confident decisions about your future. Our team of certified divorce financial analysts will create a personalized financial plan for your divorce, giving you the tools you need to negotiate from a place of strength. And because we know that you have enough on your plate, we offer a hassle-free divorce preparation platform that gives you instant digital access to us and your financial divorce plan. If you want to easily untangle your finances from your spouse and prepare for your future after divorce, connect with us at MyDivorceSolution.com. That's MyDivorceSolution.com for a personalized financial divorce plan. Thanks for joining us on another episode of WeChat Divorce. We hope this episode was informative and supportive on your divorce journey. If you are looking for more support for navigating divorce with confidence and clarity, head over to MyDivorceSolution.com for more podcast episodes, divorce events, and resources for your divorce. We'll see you back here for our next episode.